0: Welcome back to Sermon Notes. This is Michael. I've got Garland here. It's it's still icy out there, but we are here at the desk. It's possible we're the only people on the earth. <laughs> Feels I, like I it. haven't seen anyone else today. I've seen my children a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But here we are, and we're excited today to to record Sermon Notes because it's a pretty big shift. We're changing books, actually. We wrapped up the book of Esther, and so today we're going to turn to the book of Daniel, which we've both been talking about for weeks and months, and we're excited about working together both from the platform and in our community groups and We chose to do Esther and Daniel together because they're both books that were written during the exile. And one thing that could be a little confusing for us, and we talked about this with our community group leaders, is Daniel's actually the earlier book. It's the older book. The events in Daniel happen What do you think, 150 or so years before the events of Esther? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. So, Garland, uh, tell us some things that you've been thinking about when it comes to the book of Daniel and some things we can be looking for as careful readers and students of the book.
1: Well, I think first and foremost, we'll do a a nice deep dive here on uh, just introductory material, stuff that uh, in commentaries takes the place of, you know, chapter one introduction, the part that people don't like to read because it can be... Um, it's seemingly boring, uh, but we have to understand it, and we have to get our arms around. When you're reading any piece of uh, of literature, a song, a story, um, an ancient text, a modern text. Knowing what's going on just helps us in reading. Now, before we dive in, I think it is important for us to just maybe say why, why are we doing exile literature? Um, and we, we chose this for a reason, and we're going to see those reasons as, they, as we go along here. But uh, one of the things we want to do is—these are great stories, so first and foremost, they're great stories. Um, but secondly, we want to learn some of the lessons— um, from ancient Israel and exile that we can apply to our world today. And what does it look like to live in a culture that doesn't understand you? Uh, what does it look like to to live by a set of values that don't align with the culture? How should we um, go about living in that world? Um, we're going to study 1 Peter after this, and it's a piece of New Testament uh, uh, literature written to exiles. And so um, we're doing this for a reason. Um, we'll hopefully see that reason uh, come to bear as we go through these weeks. But uh introductory issues with daniel the, i'll categorize it this way you know we have to understand setting characters plot and then features of a text anytime we're reading any kind of story so let's just do that let's just work through those things kind of one by one the first thing we got to do is the setting what is our setting what's our background for this story and we have both the uh the the narrative setting and in the historical background and so historically uh the background here's what we're talking about um we'll we'll wait into this some on sunday uh but i don't have enough time to go into a lot of these details um the first thing we got to see is um We're we're dropped into an ancient... Tragedy for the people of Israel in 586 BC. Um, it's a date that, if you're a careful student of the Bible, just keep that date in your memory. That's the date. Not a lot of dates you have to try to remember. That's one. 586 BC. This is the the date for the Babylonian invasion and the destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem and the the we might say the beginning of uh, the the exile as we know it for the people of Israel. Now there's a lot. It's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, the dates of Israel. If you've taken Panorama, you see it was split into and they already had something like this happen to the northern kingdoms of Israel in 722 BC. Um, but the temple, its destruction, Jerusalem, its destruction is the hallmark, the central feature of 586 BC. So remember that. Um, now the Babylonians, they in 586, that's kind of the, the, the big cataclysmic tragedy Tragic moment where the city's destroyed, but the Babylonians came in waves, and one of those waves um, happened a a couple decades earlier in 605 BC, and this is going to be where the story of Daniel picks up. In 605 BC, uh, what the Babylonians did as part of their foreign policy is... They would come in and they basically kidnap some of the, the best and brightest of that culture and they'd ship them off to uh, the Babylonian capital. And the reason they do this is, um, it doesn't state this for us, but I, I, you can think of some. Here's one of the ones I think they're doing is they're trying to assimilate some of the best and brightest. Assimilate means just to to butter them up, get them used to the culture so they start to fit in and blend in. If you do that with the best and the brightest, then as you uh, kind of take over the rest of the people, they go, well, look, our best and brightest like Babylon. They're, they're, they get it. They've read their stories. They understand their culture. Maybe we should too. And so the Babylonians uh, did this in 605, and so they carried off some of the best and brightest. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, we'll see that Daniel and three of his buddies are a part of that group. So we've dropped into the historical background. We're talking uh, 500s BC, and we've got our characters. Our main characters for the first half of Daniel are going to be Daniel. And his three friends, and they—it's unfortunate for them because they are—they have Jewish names, they have Hebrew names, but their Jewish Hebrew names are not the names that we frequently remember them with. Um, we almost always remember them with the names that are given to them by their captors, and so uh, their Jewish names are uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But we probably know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in Veggie Tales, they are represented by. I think that's <laughs> asparagus or scallions or something like that. I didn't watch veggie Tales growing up. So anything to add? Right now, we're just
0: trying to talk about setting, background, and characters. Anything yeah. you want, though, in there? I mean, on the name thing, we're told in verse 7 that Daniel's also given a Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar.
1: But we never really go with that one, do we? Never. Nobody we likes to say that one. Him that. So <laughs> it's kind of
0: funny. We have a double standard for them. But yeah, I think um, another thing I was thinking about with just why these young men were were taken in and they're put in this sort of government training program. Um, I I wrote in my notes, uh, wise men in training, which really comes into more focus in chapter two. Uh, But it makes sense that you would take the young guys if you're Babylon, right? If they spend a year training them and then four or five years on the job by, you know, they're playing the long game here that these guys are going to they're going to spend their professional life, so to speak, in Babylon. So you don't want to start with the old guy and only get a few years out of right. him. They're looking at a lifetime of service from these guys. Mm-hmm. Now, this,
1: as we read the story, and Daniel's very familiar, I think, for a lot of readers because of the story of the Lion's Den and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, we have to imagine the, tr- the, the, the fear, anxiety, the worry in this. I mean, your name has changed, and you're given the name... You're given the name by your captors, um, and so we we saw this in American history with the slave trade, um, and it 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 can be really jarring, and it's going to set up a lot of the um, the experience of reading the Book of Daniel. How do I go about aligning with Yahweh and my, the values of Yahweh, and keeping my culture? In a culture that's giving me a new name, literally, um, and forcing me to go about operating with that name, and that's going to be some of the questions that we're going to be asking as we read Daniel. It's going to uh, we're going to look at that in the first our first look in Daniel chapter one. So we've got our background, we've got some of our historical context. Um, just to put a bow in the historical context, the book of Daniel's going to. It's going to cover several decades. And so uh, Daniel actually is going to be, um, we're going to see that the story is going to begin with him going into uh, you know this government training program, as you're calling it, in 605 B.C. But then uh, he's, his story is going to go all the way to the Persian takeover of Babylon, which takes place in 539. So it's going to cover many, many decades. We're going to get choice stories kind of dropped in uh, of the life of Daniel. Um, they're chosen for a reason. They're great stories to hear. They're great. I mean, these are the, a lot of the ones we tell our kids. Um, and so we want to enjoy Daniel as we go about it, but it is important to notice as we look at Daniel, and this is what makes Daniel really, really complicated is it's strange literary features. So we've got some setting and characters. Now let's look at the features that make Daniel very unique. Um, wade in here with us. I mean, you're here at sermon notes, cause this is why is what you want. Um, so let's Wade into this. Um, the first thing we got to see, and we wrote some of this in your uh, your Daniel Esther guide. Is Daniel is told in what we might say through multiple genres. Um, there's a pretty striking genre shift in chapter six to chapter seven. Not only are we are we moving the story from third person to first person, so third person narratives, are, he did this, she did that. First person is I did this, um, but the the entire genre changes. Chapters one to six sound a lot like Esther. Um, I'm actually glad we're doing this back to back because they sound very similar. Yep. Um, they're full of drama and irony and reversals and they're, o- they're exact. They're overdone and everything's over the top. You know, it's a not just a furnace. It's a fiery furnace that the other guys can't even get near, but they're singed. It's, it's great. It's really, um, dramatic court tales, just like Esther, very similarly to Esther in chapter seven, everything changes and it's going to make for, uh, I think interesting teaching, we're going to get to teach it. I'm curious how we're going to all handle that second half of the book. Chapter 7 to 12 um, comprise what, what most scholars refer to as apocalyptic literature. Um, okay, dun, 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 now we're dropping in apocalyptic <laughs> literature. I think for most of us, when we think or hear the word Apocalyptic. What comes to mind, Michael? The end
0: of the world.
1: Space time is coming to an end. Everything's collapsing. Uh, I'll note on Sunday, even the very, we love this genre because think of the amount of times and ways that New York has been destroyed in movies. Like we we love thinking of I don't know why we love it, thinking about the the world being destroyed and um, even
0: uh, post-apocalyptic. Post-apocalyptic genre. genre. Yeah,
1: we have all of that. Um, Our vision of that kind of story, uh, end of the world, that's what an apocalyptic uh, piece of literature is, is decidedly not what ancient Jewish apocalyptic literature is. Um, So what is it? We have to understand this. The second half of Daniel is a piece of early Jewish apocalyptic literature. Here's what apocalyptic literature is. It's a genre of literature that was really popular from the Babylonian exile through the time of Jesus. It's largely written uh, from the community of Jews, Jewish community, but there's some Christian apocalyptic literature. There's some non-Jewish and Christian apocalyptic literature. um, And it's got some characteristics. So I'm going to give you a five. If you're taking notes, um, you know, write these down. If you're driving, just try to commit this to memory. But here's what marks apocalyptic uh, literature. The first is, um, it's usually visions, and so uh, a human is experiencing visions, and those visions are set in some kind of a story. Normally, um, you see the character, the main character, experiencing a vision. He's having some kind of story interacting around him. The vision will be a story. Um, most apocalyptic literature involves a heavenly messenger communicating to the human recipient, and so we're going to see that really clearly in Daniel. We're going to be told the name of this heavenly messenger. Um, it's... Almost all apocalyptic literature uses really symbolic language. That's one of the hallmarks of it. It makes it kind of hard to wrestle with symbolic language, but the some the symbols are depicting real things that are happening on the ground or will happen on the ground. And here's the big grand purpose of apocalyptic literature. What does it do? Apocalyptic literature it teaches a heavenly perspective, we might say, about earthly events. And in Daniel, this could be exactly what it's doing. Uh, What is God's perspective on earthly events, namely kingdoms as they rise and fall, and how do we handle that? Um, A lot of apocalyptic literature um, is written in the name of somebody else, and so they usually take a famous ancient person from the Bible and a right in that person's name. And there's a lot of examples of apocalyptic literature. Um, I had the, is it the pleasure or mispleasure of reading <laughs> all of them? I had to read all of them for a class and it's a, a lengthy, thick volume of ancient Jewish apocalyptic literature. Ones that you may have heard of uh, the book first Enoch. Uh, if you're listening to this, you might've heard of that. It's actually quoted. First Enoch is quoted in the, one of the letters of Peter. And so go look that up. It's like, what is this doing here? First Enoch is a very, very famous apocalyptic uh, piece of, of apocalyptic literature. And maybe the most famous one for Christians is Revelation. The yeah. last book in our Bible is not a, a piece of apocalyptic literature. So The book of Daniel has a couple of genres, court tales, chapters one to six, and then apocalypse, chapters seven to 12. Anything you want to add there? I know we are in the weeds here on Sermon Notes today, but we're trying to give you introductory material here. When you're reading apocalyptic literature, you have to know what you're doing. What am I doing as I read this? And so chapters seven through 12... It's going to be weird goats and rams, and we're going to see beasts and all sorts of stuff. And
0: don't forget the horns. Yeah.
1: And you got horns (laughs) and yeah, it's going to be strange to read, but you got to know what genre you're in. Um, and that helps you as, as you read it.
0: No, that's good. Garland. I appreciate everything you're saying about that. And, uh, I actually, rather than adding to that, I'm just going to give you a, a good shove here into the deep end of the pool, because I want you to talk about the structure of Daniel. When we read it, it's all in English, but most of our modern Bibles have a little note that tells us mm-hmm. this section um, is in Aramaic, and so um, we have a, a large chunk that actually bridges the court tales into the apocalyptic section mm. that's in Aramaic, and we also have what we call a chiasm or a chiastic structure um, for certain in two through seven. And so talk, talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, it's what is so strange and baffling about Daniel is there's, it's written in two languages. We don't have a manuscript, uh, or our best earliest manuscripts have it in multiple languages. So chapter 1, 1 through 2, 4 is Hebrew. Then basically chapters 2 to 7 are written in Aramaic, which was a, an ancient language, uh, kind of the, the dominant language in this part of the world. And so uh, most Jews, Babylonians spoke Aramaic. Um, and then chapters 8 to 12 are back in Hebrew. And what's so strange about it is it doesn't match the change in genre. And so it baffles scholars, any introductory section to any commentary on Daniel is, wades into these issues and does so with fear and trepidation because we don't know exactly why the languages were used this way, why they were done not with 1 to 6 and 7 to 12. Why does it not match? There's a lot of questions. It might represent a, uh, a composition history. Um, there might be something there. Or maybe we find the more ancient manuscript that was all in Hebrew or all in Aramaic. We just don't know. Um, what you are also bringing up is the structure of the book of Daniel. It is really, really... Uh, carefully constructed, we might say. Chapter one introduces us to the exile and our characters, and we're going to talk about that in the next episode. Chapters two to seven form what every scholar recognizes as uh, an extended chiasm, we might say. And Tad did a great job in our Esther series of explaining what a chiasm is. Like a book opening up, you've got your covers, and at the center of that story is uh, the thing that is highlighted, and everything as it works towards the center is mirroring each other. So the two covers mirror each other, the next page mirrors each other, and it works toward the center, and that center thing becomes highlighted. highlighted. Chapters two to seven, you see this on display. So we're going to talk uh, in a later episode about chapters two and seven, but you'll notice chapter two and seven both have a vision of four things followed by another thing, a different thing. Then chapter three and six are stories of faithful Jews being saved. Um, there, there you go. Chapters, and in, in the middle, you have uh, what we might call um, arrogant pagan rulers humbled. Chapter four and five. So, what's the point? What's the center? The arrogant pagan ruler that looks like he is winning, that looks like he's in control, that looks like they have the the upper hand. They actually will fall. What is the next? What, what's outside that? So, be faithful, and God will save you. And then chapter 2 and 7, are outside pages, because God's in control. We're going to see that as we go. Um, as, as the story of Daniel unfolds, that chiasm helps us to make sense of it. And we're actually going to teach it that way. So we're going to work... F- in the chiasm as we go through this series. And I know that here you are listening to this, if you're driving or you're jogging or something like this going, what in the world are we talking about? Um, But this is really helpful stuff. It enables you, the reader to make sense of what the author of Daniel is trying to accomplish as he writes it. And this is a device that ancient people used commonly. And so we have to note it or we'll struggle to make sense of the book. Uh, Anything you want to say? I can see you're so excited about chiasms. I know. So anything else you want to say about that?
0: No, I'll, I'll I'll move on from the chiasms just to point out something that um, actually Robert Cupp has taught for years. Robert, our founding pastor, he actually still teaches Daniel in Downline the discipleship program, and it's just an interesting note. Um, chapter one, written in Hebrew, um, seems to be aimed at the the people of Israel. Like this is how this happened, Israel. This is this is how we got in this situation. And then uh, chapters eight through twelve, back in Hebrew, Robert points out um, they're about the future of Israel and and the nations that will um, uh, exert their influence over Israel. That middle section, two through seven, Robert points out, written in Aramaic, um, they're about the nations and they're about these, these different Gentile kingdoms. And so could it be that the Holy Spirit inspired the original writer of Daniel um, to write that in Aramaic because it was for the nations to understand. It was for the nations to consider. I don't... I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it's an interesting thing that Robert has said for years, and I just I wanted to share that with our listeners. Yeah, my, the the aim of a long, kind of a longer episode like this, into
1: these introductory things, is that we get to speculate, we get to have some interesting conversation. These are the kinds of things that that uh, I think once you kind of dive deeper into the Bible, you get to ask some different kinds of questions. And why why did Daniel do this? That, that that's a uh, potential solution, but it's fun to think about. Um, and we're in the deep end of the pool here. A couple other things just to know introductory wise. If you have somebody in your group or you're friends with somebody who, uh, re- has come from a Catholic tradition, they're going to have a different version of Daniel. They're going to have some things in there that you're not going to have in your Bible. Um, they are, uh, very fascinating to read. Um, the three things that are in Daniel that are not in the Protestant Bible, uh, one's called Bell and the Dragon. How about that? Uh, one of them is called uh, The Prayer of Azariah, and uh, one of them is called Susanna. And these three stories are placed in the book of Daniel. And so if you're uh, interested in that, go go read them. You can Google them and read those things. Uh, and the last thing we want to say about Daniel uh, before we talk about how it was influential on in the New Testament is... Um, who, when you're reading any piece of literature, who wrote it, when and where, with Daniel, we have some written in the first person. As Daniel's speaking, some in the third person, probably these are uh, oral or written sources that are brought together. Uh, we're, we're not entirely sure when, it doesn't tell us when they were written. Uh, and so the pieces written in the first person by Daniel may go back to a written source that we have from Daniel. Uh, there, These things were probably recorded um, during or after this Babylonian exile. And then lastly, here's our big purpose. And then we'll talk about how this was influential to in the New Testament. Our big purpose, this is kind of my purpose statement for the book, um, and you can you can uh, comment on this if you like. Um, this is kind of a working purpose statement. What is the purpose of Daniel? It reminds the reader that though kingdoms rage, that's we're going to say that in the book of Daniel, though kingdoms rage and God's people get caught in the fire, God is in control and he will establish his kingdom. So be faithful to him and bless the kingdom you're in. Um When you make any purpose statement, you're trying to uh, you know summarize uh, a lot of material. But the book of Daniel is teaching the reader, kingdoms are raging, and you might get caught in the middle. You might not understand, and it might be scary, but trust that God is in control, and he will establish his kingdom, his Messiah kingdom. And in light of that, be faithful to him. Um, Don't give in. And figure out how can you bless the city that you're in, the culture that you're in. Um, And... That's why we're studying it because we want to we want to be reminded of that as well. Uh,
0: anything you want to add, no, purpose I, statement wise? A, I, no, I love that purpose statement. I think it's great, and uh, I think Daniel was written to a community in exile um, to to accomplish the exact purpose you just articulated—to encourage them um, to bless the culture they were in without forgetting. Who they belonged to, who they were, um, what was the thing that defined them as a people. It was their relationship with Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. It's equally applicable for us today. We're to bless the culture we're in without forgetting who we belong to. And for us, um, that's our identity in Christ. And so, yeah, um, I know you, you set us up for this, but let's go there. Uh, Daniel and how it points ahead to the New Testament.
1: Yeah, it is, it is uh, certain. The, the influence of Daniel on the New Testament and on Jesus himself is substantial. Um, Jesus will ap- apply a, uh, we might say, a, a, he will embody or apply a, a title from Daniel chapter 7. Um, it's the famous Son of Man. Jesus adopts that and applies it to himself. And um, that is not by accident. He knows what he is doing when he does that. Um, as the story of Daniel unfolds, what we're going to see is the Jews had expected that the exile would last for seventy years? Jeremiah twenty nine verse ten tells them, "Hey, the exile, this tragic day, is seventy years, but God's going to come back and restore you." And one of the things that Daniel is wrestling with is, um, okay, if 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 we go back to the land, does that mean the exile is over? What happens when other kingdoms are still in charge? It doesn't look like it's better. And what Daniel's going to say is. The exile is going to be longer and different than you thought. This is going to, we're going to look at this on our very last chapter, um, or our very last sermon, Daniel chapter 9. The exile is going to be, we get some bad news. The exile is going to be longer and worse than you thought, but we're going to get some good news. But the Messiah is coming, and some amazing things are going to accompany his coming. And Jesus, it seems, has taken that story, that framework, and has situated himself as that Messiah, he sees himself as the one coming to bring a kingdom. And we're going to talk about what that looks like as we uh, look at Daniel chapter 9 and how that kingdom is going to come. Um, but the, the influence of this, of this book on Jesus and his ministry, it can't be overstated, I don't think. Uh, as the kingdoms rise and fall, but God's kingdom is coming, Jesus situates himself right in the middle of that story. And so as New Testament Jesus followers it's really important for us to get our arms around the book of Daniel.
0: Yeah, one thing I'm going to talk about in a couple of weeks, but I want to go ahead and tease it here is at the beginning of Matthew, so his account of Jesus' birth, we have these um, wise men who come from the east. They're called magi, which is from the same word we get the word magician from. And so if you think about it for a few minutes, 600 years or so before Jesus is born, here's Daniel. Daniel's in uh, Persia. He's in, he's, he, he starts with Babylon, but it becomes the Medo-Persian Empire. And so he's part of this Persian Empire for 85 years. Um, he lives to be 85. So let's say he was 20, say, when he was deported, maybe even younger than that, 60 years still. So he writes, he thinks, he shares things about Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. And we have this prophecy of the Messiah who is to come that's very specifically dated. We're going to look at that when we get to Daniel 9. And so I have to think these magi are the intellectual descendants of Daniel. They've studied his writing, it's his influence existing even to that day that they recognize. The thing that Daniel wrote about, it's time for it to be occurring. Obviously, they have a star um, that tips them off. But when they show up, they say, we've studied the writings. And so, um, man, I, I just think that's a really interesting tie-in from the very beginning of Jesus' life that points us back to Daniel. And then, of course, Garland, is this is actually your um, area of extreme... Study um, as you pursue your education, but extreme study. Well, that's what I would call a PhD. Um, I don't want to do it. Revelation, yeah, of course, as we work through Daniel, we and we get into the apop- apocaly- apocalyptic sections. It's hard to say. Let me try that again. We get into the apocalyptic section. sections still can't do it. We're going to point to revelation and we're going to see not only do they not conflict but there's incredible overlap between Daniel's visions and the vision that John gets at the very end of our New Testament.
1: Yeah, it's it's awesome. I love Daniel. <laughs> I I mean we're we're being real in the weeds here and kind of uh dropping into some of this hard stuff to to wrap wrap our, our minds around but it's just good. It's really fascinating, and uh, I can't wait to get to, to read it, teach it, study it together as a church. So, um, yeah, Michael, take us home.
0: Yeah, one last thing. There's going to be areas where we're going to probably disagree, maybe in your community groups. Um, someone reads one commentator who says this. Someone reads another commentator who says that. Let's remember um, to be charitable, and all things charity. And so these are open-handed questions and Um, end time study is one of the things at fellowship that we try to hold loosely and with open hands and allow each other to disagree a little bit because there are holy spirit indwelled believers who reach different conclusions on some of these things so community group leaders um let's lead with charity let's encourage each other to be nice even if we have some differing opinions on how to interpret a very complex but it's also going to be a very rewarding book as we study daniel and we hope we can help you do that week by week and we'll see you next week right here on sermon notes